There's a thing called attunement, which is the sense of being seen, being heard, feeling felt and getting gotten. Today I'm speaking to Warwick Schiller. Warwick is a YouTube superstar with over 20 million views of his horse training videos. Warwick moved from his home country of Australia in his 20s to the United States. He became National Reining Horse Association Reserve World Champion, representing Australia at the 2010 and 2018 World Equestrian Games. His ever-evolving training philosophy places the horse's mental well-being at the forefront of every interaction. He now spends his time helping people create deep and meaningful relationships with their horses by helping them to change their perceptions about their horses and themselves. Warwick has over 600 training videos on his online video platform designed to create a relaxed, connected and skilled equine partner. His podcast, Journey On, digs deep into the soul of the horse and the human. Warwick Schiller is changing the way we train the horse and the way we think about ourselves. So hi Warwick, I am actually so, so excited today to be speaking to Warwick Schiller and you're very welcome on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm, ex I'm excited about this. I'm excited about, um, you know, the, the, the subject matter here because, you know, a lot of times people get me on a podcast and they want to talk about horse training and this is, you know, what you're on about is so much bigger than that. So much, yeah, so much, yeah, so much more than that. Yeah. So hope, um, Warwick is going to be a voice for the horse today and can you tell us briefly how horses entered your life? That'd be a good place to start. Uh, well, I grew up on a 1,200-acre sheep and wheat farm in Australia, and Dad had horses. You know, Dad grew up with horses. He actually, uh, when he was younger, did a lot of rodeo stuff, and um, yeah, we had horses around there. I, I, I don't remember when I started riding, but I'm thinking it was about seven. I don't think I was riding much before that, but I think I started riding at about seven. But we always had horses at home. Yeah, so I believe that people are born with the gene. Like um, children are born with this innate desire to climb trees when they see trees. And I think that certain children are born with um, equus or whatever, horsey gene. Uh, it's either in you or it isn't. So I got that one as well, <laughs> even though I was born in London. I just have to tell everyone briefly how I came across Warwick. Um, for years, I was riding horses, uh, three-day eventing, training horses internationally, et cetera, et cetera. And about 10 years ago, I took a break. And then recently, I was working with a horse because my daughter wanted to start riding him. And after four days of being on this horse, plodding along, being the quietest horse in the world, it had a panic attack. I can only describe as a panic attack. It totally freaked out for absolutely no reason. And I couldn't work it out because it was a really quiet horse. Toffee is his name. So I Googled anxiety in horses and I came across the amazing Warwick Schiller. And it has been a bit of an epiphany. <laughs> so myself and so they do say when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So I was ready. Toffee appeared and then Warwick appeared as the teacher. So now I've been following Warwick's relationship path um, with horses. It's a completely, well, it's not new, but it's the right way to work with horses. 
Um, maybe you could tell us about your epiphany. There's a certain horse that came into your life which changed around your training methods. Yeah, so I'd been a, um, you know, I originally came, I'm from Australia, I originally came to the US wanting to learn how to train uh, reining horses and ended up, you know, training reining horses for a living. I represented Australia at two World Equestrian Games in the reining. And about five years ago, my wife bought a horse, a reining horse, and he's a very high high level reining horse, but he wasn't high level reining horse price because he had some quirks that prevented him from being competitive, but not that the, 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 the hard stuff was not the, the problem. It was just all the little weird things about him. And at the time I'm traveling, you know, I've, I don't know how many views I had on my YouTube channel. Then I've got about 22 million now, but mm, I forget what I had back then, but you know, there's a lot of people listening to what I have to say. I do clinics all around the world and what I do with the horses works. People come with a horse that's having trouble and I help them out and off they go and it's all good. And so I was starting to believe my own BS sort of thing. And when my wife bought this horse, um, and incidentally, I mean, this story is not a big deal in America because no one knows who he is, but I actually bought this off horse off Michael Schumacher's wife, the Formula One driver. Um, she's really into the running. Karina, lovely lady. And I tried to solve the parts of him that were, were not working and I couldn't. Nothing I had done before worked on this horse. And so he made me really take a step back and I didn't keep trying. I'm like, oh, I don't know how to deal. I don't know how to change this horse. I'm just going to leave him how he is. And I stepped away from him for, you know, I probably didn't do much with him for a couple of years. Uh, but in that time, I, he, he really opened my eyes to looking for something else. He was the start of the whole thing. And then, you know, then down the rabbit hole I went and in that going down the rabbit hole, it kind of led me to start looking at me a little bit. And this horse was really shut down. And the horse that you're talking about, the one that had a panic attack out of nowhere, he was shut down until he wasn't. And well, the, the, you know, the, this horse's name was Sherlock, uh, actually led me to come to the realization that I've been shut down all my life without even knowing it, because your, your normal is your normal. You don't know there's another way to be. And so it's almost like a form of depression, but just no, no internal emotions at all, you know? And so that led me down a whole, you know, personal growth journey sort of thing. And the, that and my journey with the horses has kind of been back and forth to where I'll learn a bit about me and then I'll learn a bit about them which teaches me a bit more about me, which is teaches me a bit more about them. And so it's been yeah. the, whole, the whole back and forth thing. So when I started working with Toffee and one, I think one of the first videos I watched of Warwick's and I signed up for his video series. So you can sign up and get the new videos and they're just phenomenal. But anyway, the first thing we were doing was getting sort of getting the bend and, and creating energy, getting the horse to move around. So Warwick says, mental picture <laughs> mental picture and you have to count one two while you visualize the horse turning in the direction that you want it to turn before you ask it um so this little horse that really saved my life when i was when i came over to ireland first i was looking out into the field and this little chestnut horse was pulling two fully grown men around the field on the end of a rope and I got a strong voice in my head that said, buy this horse. And I don't know who said it, 
but um, I didn't have any money at the time. And that's went around Galway trying to cash checks, got gathered the money up together and bought the horse. I was severely depressed and had postnatal depression at the time. And the horse was so difficult. One thing he completely absorbed me because you couldn't ride him. And <laughs> it took a long time to, to get him to do anything. And I do have a little bit of video of him. Eventually I got him show jumping and I jumped the first two uh, fences and disappear off into the showground. People were whipping their children out of the way while they get run away with around the showground. Then I peer back in the ring and finish the course. But um, the horse was actually ranked ninth in the world in three-day eventing eventually when he was aged nine and he was the most fantastic horse. But I have never ever heard of anybody that was talking about the telepathy aspect of riding horses. So the only way I could ride him you could point him at a fence. There was no point telling him where to take off because he could take off a stride away or he could go right under the fence. If you tried to gather him up, he'd probably take off further away. So I would give him a mental picture of exactly where I wanted him to land. And the only thing that went wrong with that when we were starting eventing is when we went up to bounce fences because I couldn't give him the image quick enough for the bounce. So he got confused and he used to try and take the whole fence on at once. And that's the only time we fell at a fence. But I mean, I would go up to these and the three day venting fences at the time were horrific. And he was carrying four stone of lead. He was only 15, two hands. And you had all the roads and tracks and all that. You'd be going up to the fence and I'd just give him the image of where he landed. And that was it. I never spoke about it to anybody. And now I, I hear Warwick talking about it and yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's about how horses communicate. Uh, would you like to talk a little bit about the energy and the communication aspect of it? Well, I think there's a couple of parts to this, really. But um, one of them is you have to understand that horses can basically read your mind so they can get mental pictures from you they read your energy they read your intention and they read all that stuff probably more than the physical things you're actually doing and one of the i i have not yet got to the point where i can do the mental picture thing with horses but i know people who can do it and it's doable and so it's a practice trying to to get that but that's one part of it that if you could get the mental picture stuff working that would be good but the other part of it this is more the the human aspect of it is it makes you get in your own body you know instead of when you ask your horse to do something if you have like negative judgments like i'm going to ask him to do this but the bastard's going to do that you know if you have this mental picture of it going wrong you are part of the problem and so that mental picture of what you want keeps your keeps your mind straight to where you're not going to the negative because they like i said they and if you have negative mental pictures you have negative energy you have negative intentions and you know a lot of people that um, struggle with their horses i think a lot of it i mean quite a bit of it has to do with with they're kind of expecting it to go wrong you know once you understand that horses um, 
can receive mental pictures from you know and at clinics a lot of times I'll, I'll talk about there are people who can get horses to do things off mental pictures and i said is anybody can anybody here do that and everybody goes no i can't do that and i said yeah you'd have to have a mind like a buddhist monk to be able to do that wouldn't you and they're like yeah and i said hey has anybody here ever been out trail riding or you might probably call it high hacking out in the uk and everybody puts their hand up and i said ever been hacking out on a cold day and their hands stay up. Ever been hacking out on a cold day and your horse feels a bit fresh and their hands stay up? And I said, I've been hacking out on a cold day, your horse a bit fresh and down the trail in front of you, there's a plastic bag blown into a bush and it's flapping and your horse stops and pricks his ears and looks at it and grows about a hand taller. And everybody keeps their hands up. And I said, right then, have you ever had that picture of, oh my God, he's going to spook and I'm going to, he's going to spin to the left and I'm going to fall off to the right. And I'm going to fall on my right shoulder. And that's the one I injured as a kid. And I wonder, would the ambulance come here or would it be a helicopter? Yeah, No, it's too rough up here for an ambulance to drive. But there was a field a little further back there that a helicopter could land in. And blah, blah, and everybody keeps their hand up. Like, yes, I've had that. I'm like, well, there you go. You're very good at mentally picturing what you do not want. So if you can, and you can't have two pictures at the same time. So if you can practice picturing what you do want, you can really have a huge outcome on your horse because it also, it changes your physiology as well. If you're picturing the wrong thing, you know, if you're picturing and having an accident, your brain is flooding your body with chemicals that is cortisol, adrenaline, all that sort of stuff that changes your reaction speed. Things get sharper and quicker and tighter. And, and it just, it, it all starts with that. But like I said, there's two parts to it. One is let's say your horse doesn't ever get your mental pictures but let's say they do it's that's great but if they don't at least you're not mentally picturing and, and this is the secret to life isn't it picturing keeping your eye on the ball picturing what you want to happen and instead of picturing what you don't happen depression anxiety all that stuff is encompassed in that so it's not just that this whole mental picturing with your horse is not about some woo-woo thing it's i think it's the secret to life really it's just our horses help us practice it. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, you put it so well there. I totally agree. So one of the things that Warwick will start with is walking next to your horse, keeping pace with your horse. And it's it's one way of getting a relation, building up a relationship, but it also means that you can't think of anything else because when you're trying to step at exactly the same time as your horse, you are being mindful even though I don't like the word mindful because it sounds like you've got a mind of stuff, but actually it means you're in the right mind. Um, so that, that's one of, the, one of the exercises. So I've, I've done that a lot with Toffee. We've built up a great relationship and he really likes being scratched. So we've been doing a lot of that. <laughs> well, good. You know, that exercise, I call it matching steps, but you are just matching, you're matching speed direction and steps with the horse so basically what it is it's 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 a it's a way to help connect with the horse but you basically if the horse is telling you i don't want to connect with you i can't i can't connect with you you're saying well that's fine i can connect with you it all starts with us and so you're not trying to tell them where to go how fast to go what direction to go you're just matching it's like you're the dance partner and they're leading the dance initially and that you know, there's an old song in Australia. I don't think that the band ever made it to the UK, but the song was called, If You Leave Me, Can I Come Too? And it's, it's kind of like that. It's, it's, a good, it's a really good 
way to connect with a horse that doesn't want to connect with you. And, and horses do want to connect with us. There's a reason they don't want to connect with us. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, I have people go, oh, my, my horse, he just doesn't, he's one of those horses that doesn't like people. There's a reason he doesn't like people. There's some trauma in his past there. And it's almost, you are, you know, you're rewiring their brain as to what the presence of a human actually means. Because a lot of times the presence of a human means I'm about to be asked to do a whole lot of stuff that I really have no interest in doing. And I don't have a say in it. Mm-hmm. And also the what you talk about, the horse is the herd animal, I'll just go through it quickly. So you have to be 100% present for your horse to be comfortable with you. Because when your horse is in a herd, the most important thing is that there's somebody watching out for them. So it teaches you that you have to be mindful. Uh, otherwise, you can't actually have this relationship with the horse. Um, if horses could speak, what do you think would be the most important message they would like to tell people here or around the world about their species or how to interact with them? Everything means something, and it's not what you think it is. <laughs> you know, it's, it, would, it would be we want to get along. Anytime you think I'm being bad, it's a cry for help, you know, and I'm sure well, I think everybody of our age grew up in the, with the parenting style, most of us would have done with the parenting style of stop crying. I'll give you something to cry about sort of thing. And you know, what I'm understanding these days, reading child psychology stuff and things like that is, is there's a thing called attunement, which is the sense of being seen, being heard, feeling felt and getting gotten. And when a child is upset by something, it's a genuine upset. And if the parent says the noise you're making because you're upset is annoying me and I'm prepared to do something even more nasty to you than the thing that's upsetting you just to get you to shut up from not making that noise or telling me about it, it basically tells you you're not important. You're not heard. And horses are the same. Every, every, bad thing they do everything that they do that people say he's a bugger he's belligerent he's nasty he's dirty he's whatever it's just a cry for help it's 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 just because if you think about they're you know they're not the top of the food chain they are basically always keeping an eye out for something's going to kill them and eat them and so that's their first that's their first thing is am i safe that's all they're worried about am i safe and so you really got to, you know, a lot of times in certain countries and where you live right now might be one of them where there's a, there's a history of, you know, forcing everything with horses, you know, mm. making it happen, overpowering them, stuff like that. But you think you're in Ireland, don't you? Yeah. If you think about, and that's just human trauma being projected on horses, but you think about the history of Ireland and the oppression of the Irish people and that's part of their DNA. That's we're used to being oppressed. We're used to, that's the way, you know, that's the way we were treated. That's how we treat others kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's Yeah. It's, it's like you do this or else. That's the way yeah, they, a lot of people yeah. trained. It is changing, but a lot of people have that theory for horses. Do this or else you're right. in trouble. Right. And, and, and because you think they wouldn't want to any otherwise, but once you start working on the connection, it's amazing 
it's amazing what they'll do for you, but it's just amazing. The, they want to be with us. They're social. We're, we're all mammals. We're all wired for social interaction. And yeah, it's, it's just amazing what they will, what they will do for you. And, and especially how much they want to be around us. You know, like if people say, I can't, you know, what I hear a lot of is, um, yeah, my horse is a bugger to catch, but anyway, why not get him caught? Then I ride him and then I have trouble with riding, you know, I have trouble doing this and he won't do this and he won't do that. Like, hello, you're not listening. He's hard to catch. He's telling you, I'm not interested in you in the way you're presenting things right off the bat. And you kind of go, well, I don't care. I want what I want. And, you know, like the analogy I use is if a man was walking down the street and he saw a beautiful woman. And so he walks up to her and goes, hey, can I get your phone number? And she just ignores him and keeps walking. He's like, well, I'll tell you what, I actually, I actually usually describe this as like a Dear Abby newspaper column. You know, Dear Abby, oh, yeah. I'm a man in my 30s and I saw a beautiful woman walking down the street the other day. So I went up to her and I said, hey, can I get your phone number? And she ignored me and she kept walking. So I said, hey, I want your phone number. And she ignored me and she kept walking. And then I said, can we just have a chat? And she ignored me. She kept walking. I said, would you like a cup of coffee? And she ignored me. She kept walking. And then I, then I tried to kiss her and she slapped me. How do I stop her from slapping me? <laughs> yeah. And that's a lot like, you know, when I catch my horse, he pins his ears. And when I bring, when I lead him, he tries to bite me. And when I tie him up, he doesn't like that. When I go to put the saddle on, he kicks at me. Anyway, I'm having trouble with my truck to can a transition. How do I fix that? That's what that's like. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, why are you trying to kiss her? She won't even talk to you. No, hum no rational human being would do that with a human, but you do it with a horse. Mm. So you go back a step, you go back a step, you go back a step. So at this point now, um, I'm friends with Toffee and we're going to go through the videos and keep going. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it goes from there. What you yeah. find is all the stuff that historically is really hard to do with a horse is really easy to do with a horse. The reason those things are hard to do with them because you're trying to kiss them and they haven't even spoken to you yet. You know what I mean? What's the most important thing that horses have taught you? <laughs> That's a long subject, but really the, the or one thing, well, really the deep down thing would, it started out with listening instead of telling. And when you start listening, you start having information come into you. And like I said, being shut down all my life, like I had this shield up around me. And once that shield opens up and you start to get things coming in, you start to get connection with everything, other people, animals, trees, plants, the universe itself. So they, in a nutshell, yeah, that. Yeah, listening. Yeah, but that listening leads to that connection and that's the secret source right there. When you start to, to get that, you feel like you are part of everything and not separate from it that's yeah that that's that's the holy grail right there i think so you've taken a deeply spiritual path in your methods recently um since sherlock really changed the methods a little bit for you and all that has happened in front of an audience of thousands of people and you've been very honest and authentic about it uh, saying that you know i'm trying this path and i'm still trying it and it's led to fantastic insights into your soul and the horse's soul. What's the most important thing you've learned about yourself on this journey? 
Oh, really? What I've really learned about myself, and it's just starting to unravel now, is, you know, I've always had a suspicion that I was born like an empath, like um, really, really sensitive to things. But I'm, I'm not an empath and I'm not sensitive to things. But I've always had this sneaking suspicion that that's who I was initially. And then things that have happened have shut that down. And I've just, you know, in the last six months or year, started to unravel some of that. And yeah, it's all starting to make sense now. And, and he just recently, I had a huge bolt from above sort of thing telling me, yeah, that's, that's, that's really who you, that's who you are. And so it's, you know, a lot of this, when I first started uh, down this new path and was very open about it, very public about the whole thing, I started to let go of caring what other people thought. And, and, and when you start doing that, then I think your true self starts to get revealed to you a little bit. I think when you, you are, when you're trying to be who you think they, who they, who you think they think you should be, if I said that right, when you, when you're doing that, you're not, you don't even know who you are. You're just kind of reflecting back what you, what you think others think you should be. And when you kind of let go of, you really don't care what others think of you. I think the real you starts to get uncovered. And I think like for me that I think there was, as it got uncovered, there was a quite a bit of rejection of it. Like, no, I, that can't be me or I don't want that to be me or that sort of thing. But it's bit by bit, it's starting to, starting to come out and I'm, I'm starting to embrace it a little bit more. And I think the more you embrace it, the more it comes out and then it starts to snowball. And I just feel like right now, personally, I'm having this bit of a snowball to where, uh, yeah, I'm really just starting to fully understand who I am. Yeah. For people who don't know Warwick, um, he has been doing clinics and training horses. So difficult horses, stallions, horses that bolt, horses that buck. And at the beginning well, before he started on the relationship path, it was all, you know, I can fix these horses. And it's, I wouldn't say it's a macho world, but it is a world of certain kind of, there's a framework around it. So when you started doing the new system and in a clinic, you might stand there for 10 or 15 minutes with a horse waiting for them to lick their lips or yawn. And then very quickly, you're sitting up on them riding around without a bridle. But um, it was a very brave thing to do in front of that audience. Um, could you tell the listeners just quickly about the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system? Just briefly. I don't want to take your whole day. Yeah. Um, before, before I talk about that, let's just talk about what I used to do. What I used to do was not relationship-based. It was training based, but I've always been on the very empathetic scale of the training thing. Like I've never been, you know, like people used to think that I was in the whole scheme of training back then. I was on the woo woo end of that anyway. I've now taken a step, you know, further. Um, but yeah, it was, it was all about having the horse figured out, having the horse have control you know, um, I, this is just a whole lot deeper way of doing it, but I did a clinic in Scotland a few years ago and the guy that organized the clinic was a black belt in karate. And he told me 
that when he got to be a black belt, he thought, yeah, that's cool. I'll, you know, I'll know a lot of stuff. And he said, then he wanted to be a second Dan black belt. And he thought he was going to learn all this new stuff. But he didn't learn anything new to be a second Dan. All you do is you go back to the beginning and learn it all over again with a black belt's eyes. Cause you can't see it with a black belt's eyes and experience the first time around. Oh, you just wow. go back to the beginning and start all over again. And I kind of got to that point now where I, you know, like I've always, you know, you think I've always been on, I've never been like had forceful methods and made him do this and made him do that. It's all, it's all been about probably if I give you a good analogy, there was a guy who became, he wrote some books and he became renowned in the world for the world's greatest seducer of women. Right. Okay. He wrote books about it. He could teach you how to seduce women and you could get what you wanted and they were offering it to you. But then after a while, he realized it was kind of shallow because there was no relationship in there. So it's, it's kind of like that. Like this guy was not forcing women against their will. He just knew the right things to say. And it was like, it was like a science. It was like, you do this, insert slot A and slot B, and this will happen. Yeah, it's like making the right thing easy yeah. and the wrong thing hard yeah. and all the principles. But, but that guy had a huge turnabout. He had this bit of an epiphany, like, I'm just taking advantage of these women. Even though they were offering to do it, there was no coercion in it. Well, I think that's kind of what my training was like before. But then this guy had a complete reversal and he's like, now it's about the relationship. So that's for me, it's, it's kind of the same thing there. So what was your question? Oh, you want me to talk about the nervous Just system? very quickly, I think it'd be very useful for people if you could explain about the nervous system and just, you know, the licking and chewing and, and what's going on there. Yeah, I don't know if I can do it briefly, but... Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't so, want to take your whole day up. Oh, I've got plenty of time if you've got time to listen. So if you think about there's um, basically two parts of the nervous system, but there's actually three, but there's two parts of the nervous system. One's the brakes and one's the accelerator. One's the thing that slows things down. One's the thing that speeds things up. One's the thing that, you know, excites things, adds energy. And one's the thing that calms stuff down. And we used to think there was just two branches to the nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight sort of thing. And then the parasympathetic, which is your rest and relaxation state. But there's actually three. Two of them are brakes and one of them is a, a an accelerator. And there's the, so this is, polyvagal theory so polyvagal theory basically says that there's two branches to your vagus nerve the dorsal vagal nerve and the ventral vagal nerve that's just the front and the back don't really worry about that that they're both breaks okay and the dorsal vagal nerve is about immobility and so we, you're sitting down right now while i'm talking to you so your your dorsal vagal nerve is, is slightly engaged. It's okay. think about like a, a handbrake in a car. Okay. Um, you should put it on when, when you're already stopped. Okay. But if you want to in an emergency, you can jerk it on really hard. Mm -hmm. So your horse toffee, the one that was shut down, what happened was your horse would be in, have that, that, that break on all the time. So your horse was not standing around relaxed, which would be the other vagal the, the other break, the other, so the other break is the social engagement break. Okay. When you're around people you're comfortable with, you have that social engagement, you're relaxed and you're standing still because of that. 
okay? But the the other break, the immobility break, it's either on slightly or if you think about your fight, flight, freeze, this is the freeze part of fight, flight, freeze. So it's actually, when it's highly activated, you're basically running away, standing still sort of thing. Um, and so you asked about the licking and chewing. What, what happens when your horse goes into either that one, that frozen thing, or the fight, or the flight, the brain shuts off the... Um, blood flow to the extremities like that the muzzle things like that we don't need to be eaten right now horses are nose breathers not mouth breathers and so in order for a horse to be able to be as aerobically as efficient as possible to run away from a predator they clamp their lips shut they shut that bit off and they only breathe through their nose and all the blood all the blood gets pushed out to their muscles to and it's and once that activation goes away like the saber-toothed tiger comes along and they run off and they run away run 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 run. finally they outrun the saber-toothed tiger and they'll come to a place and that blood starts to come back into the like the, the muzzle and stuff like that they'll lick and chew okay now we we could actually start eating again we're, we're past this the scary zone we can actually start eating again so they re- return back to that and from what i've read from the scientists tell me that when they do that they get dopamine. It's basically mother nature's way of saying, yes, that was a good plan of attack right there. That was a good thing. Run away from that thing and get yourself safe. And then I'll give you a little reward. Ping, here's your little chemical reward. And so it teaches us how to do the right thing. So you don't get eaten. Oh. Okay. And so, I'll, and, and as a horse trainer, we used to be always taught that if they're licking and chewing, they're digesting a thought, but really what they're doing is returning back to a relaxed state after some type of stress well a lot of horses when they're around us they're stressed the whole time like your little horse was without us knowing it and so the first thing i want to do is make sure they they are doing that licking and chewing so and there's a you know there's a lot of things you can do to get that working but most of them aren't asking for things most of them are just sitting around kind of just hanging out with them, just being aware. It's, it's, you know, being with them without asking anything of them is probably step number one. And that's, most people don't do that with their horses. Most people get their horse and they want to want to do something or other. And that right there, that's the start of them holding it all in. And eventually like toffee, they end up, end up exploding. So yeah, that's something I, you know, it's, it's, I call it 10 year old girl training. Cause if you think about 10 year old girls, what do they do with their horses? They hang with them. They tell them all their secrets. They just, you know, they are, when a 10 year old girl is with a horse, they are present with the horse. They're not thinking, they're not at the boyfriend stage yet. They're not at, I've got Mm. kids at home and I've got to cook dinner and I've got to do the washing and I've got a job and I've got this meeting tomorrow. And They're just there with their horses. And 10 year old girls don't need to know how to train a horse because they've just got that connection stuff. It all works off connection. And so I think the Holy Grail for me is having all that plus understanding, you know, training, how, how, how training works. And so if you, you know, a lot of people work on connection alone, a lot of people work on training alone. What I think the real Holy grail is when you can do both really, really well, that's when the real magic happens. Hmm. And the horse is uh, actually controlling himself at the end. And he's taught himself to come down from that anxiety or you can sort of wait till he comes down so he doesn't add to it and add to it and add to it and then eventually explode for no reason at all. 
Now that's the brilliant. It's it's hard to explain, so you have to go and watch Warwick's well, videos. You know what? I could, you know, a few years ago in England, I had a girl at a clinic, and she said, "What do you do with a horse that's crazy? Like you're dealing with okay horses here, but my horse is crazy." I said, "Well, what kind of crazy is your horse?" And she said, "Well, I'll go hacking out, and we'll be riding along, and a rabbit will run out of the wet grass, and he kind of." He kind of steps sideways and looks at it, but doesn't really do anything. And then we go a bit further and another rabbit runs out of the grass and he kind of looks at it and steps sideways, but doesn't really do anything. And I've been hacking out for an hour and I've seen 12 rabbits and none of them bothered him. And then the 13th rabbit will run out of there and he's silly, the bugger. He'll spook and buck me off and run home. Like that's crazy because it's the same looking rabbit as the other rabbits. And I said, well, the thing that's happened here is let's say you're complete your horse is completely relaxed when he leaves home and he goes along and a rabbit runs out <gasps> he gets a little bit of a fright and then you go along a bit further and <gasps> he gets another bit more of a fright but he hasn't let go of the first little bit of a fright and then he's got two rabbits worth of worry inside and then three rabbits worth of worry and then four rabbits worth of worry and i said obviously your horse has a 12 rabbit limit before it overflows and and the therapists call this trigger stacking you know let's say you've had a bad day at work and then you're driving home and the traffic's really bad and then you go to the store and everybody's in the store and they're annoying the hell out of you and then you come home from the store and you get out of the car with your groceries and you drop it you drop them on the ground and the milk spills all over the place and then you come inside and you find that your kids were supposed to do one thing they were supposed to put their dishes in the sink and they haven't and you lose your mind at your kids but if you'd have had the best day in the world, came home, no traffic, went to the store, it was all good, come home, don't drop the milk on the ground, come in the house and the kids have not put their dishes in the sink, you might go, hey, remember I told your kids to put your dishes in the sink? So it doesn't bother you then. But at the end of one after another after another, you're at your, you know, the end of your rope sort of thing and then you snap. And that's what happens a lot with horses is it's just trigger stacking. And the first trigger is when they're around us, a lot of times when they're around us, they're holding their breath. Mm. You know, they're kind of tenser. And it's kind of like if, if you've ever had a boss that every time he comes in the room, you kind of, oh, I hope I'm doing this right sort of thing. And when he walks out of the room, you you just let down a little bit. It's like that. Yeah. They're, they're like that around us all the time. And so for me, the first thing I've got to do is get them to where when I'm around them, they're like, they're like they're in their own herd of horses. They're the same, in the same mental state as where they win up as they are when they're with other horses that are with us. For me, that's step one. And from there, that's probably the hardest bit. And from there on, it gets easier because in getting that bit to work, there's a change in you. You have to give up your judgment. You have to give up your expectations. You have to be present. You have to be able to just be with them without any expectations. And that's the hardest thing for us is we're going to get that horse. We want to do something with it, you know, in changing them, you almost have to change you a little bit too. That's the it, start. Changing it has us. it has been so rewarding working with Toffee because you're exactly right. He would, um, oh, she's putting the bridle on. Oh, yeah, she's putting the saddle on. Oh, yeah, I stand here now. Get out. She's getting on me. Yeah, we'll walk. Yeah, we'll trot. But he never <laughs> relaxed for a second. He was just doing what he was told, but he was just full of tension. And eventually it came out. Um, for people that have horses that are listening, what's the first technique you could suggest for them to form a real relationship with their horse? Uh, if they go on my YouTube channel and look up, so I did a, I have a, a sponsor named uh, Weaver Leather. They're a big company of horse stuff here in, in the US. And last year when coronavirus started, they said, hey, can you, uh, people are going to be spending more time at home. Like, can you come out with a series of videos on YouTube for for us and i said oh yes exactly so i started out this with this 
series. It's called Reconnecting with Your Horse During Coronavirus. And in that, I said, you know, a lot of people that have competition horses, dressage horses, whatever, they feel like they don't have time to go back to the beginning and work on the little things because I've got a show coming up. But I said, we're all in lockdown right now. We're all got time. And so I made a series of videos that's called Reconnecting with Your Horse During Coronavirus. And the first, the first one was just going out wherever they live and just be in there. You can, then there's two ways of doing this. One is just go out and go in their pasture and sit down, read a book, get on your phone, scroll through Facebook. Doesn't matter. You don't have to be present. You physically have to show up without actually asking anything of them. That's one way to start. The next best way would be to do the same thing, but be present. Look at the surroundings, look at the trees, listen to the birds. Be aware of your seat bones touching the ground, that sort of thing. Be really, really present. Um, the third one was go out there and match steps with them. So if they're out there grazing, because some people go, I show up, my horse doesn't, my horse just ignores me. He doesn't even know I'm there. He knows you're there. That's why he's ignoring you. Um, you can go out and you can match steps with them. Maybe from, you know, 100 feet away. Just while he's grazing, just point the way he's pointing. Put your feet where in the same place his feet are and every time he moves a foot you move a foot that's a great way to really blend in with them and that they create a lot of connection but the one the next one after that which is an exercise i called creating connection through changing focus is you go out there and they might be out there in the pasture or whatever and you take a little flag like a you know a stick with a bat you know with a bit of cloth on the end of it, or a plastic bag preferably a cloth Sometimes the plastic bag's too much, but just go out there and just start to move, just start to walk somewhere and just pick that flag up and just move it a little bit, like waving the flag of truce real slowly. You're trying to be curious with it. And if your horse flicks an ear towards you, put it down and like let your energy go down. And you're trying to communicate over a large distance that I'm aware of your thoughts. I just noticed your thoughts. They might not even pick their head up from eating the grass, but they were thinking about the grass and then they were, while they're eating the grass, and then they were thinking about you while they're eating the grass. And you, if you can communicate to them, I saw that change in focus right there. That's all. It's, 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 you create connection by creating a change in focus and they're letting them know you saw it. And it's, there's a whole explanation in the video of, of how it goes about. And I was in Morocco the year before, crazy thing. You know, I'm really big into manifesting. And the year before I kind of went, you know what, I want someone to contact me to go somewhere kind of exotic to work with horses. And so about two months later, I got an email from the wife of the British ambassador to Morocco I said, would you, uh, would you like to come to Morocco and do some work with horses for the prince? I'm like, yeah, I think that counts. Uh, but anyway, while I was there working with those barb stallions, this is where I really started to really think about this. And um, there's yeah, they're very interesting videos. Yeah, some footage of the Barb Stallions in mm. too, but that's where it all really, I mean, that's, that's not really came from because it really came from the last three, four years of looking at stuff, but it kind of really solidified there. But yeah, those exercises are really good. And you almost can't get them wrong because you're not asking for anything. Where you go wrong is asking for something and not getting it. And you might get it because it's not possible for the horse to do that at this point in time. Like a, a big thing working with horses is you want to only ask yes questions. You want to only ask them something they can either, they already know how to do or they're capable of figuring out or they already know how to do and they can do them given their current mental state. 
That's 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 the, the horse the horse you have today. Work with yeah, the horse you have today. And that's that's the whole thing. You know, most people are asking a horse to do something that they're they're petrified of doing, or it's too much for them, or they don't understand how to do it. And so you just create conflict. And and pretty soon the horse is like, oh, well, here she comes again, and it's just going to be conflict. Whereas if you can only ask yes questions, you know, and I try to tell women, think about a man asking you out on a first date. He is trying to ask yes questions. You know, he doesn't say, um, first date, do you want to come over to my mate's house? We're going to watch the football and we're all going to swear and curse and drink beer and get drunk. And they're not going to suggest that because that's not going to be a yes question. You're trying, you're thinking, where could I ask? What could I ask her to do? What activity could it be? You know, you want to go see a movie? Do you want to go to dinner? Maybe she's really adventurous. You go, hey, you want to go skydiving? You got to figure out what's going to be a yes mm -hmm. question first and first and and then as you go on then you can start to expand those boundaries and, and things like that but initially they've got to be yes questions great and, advice and great advice i got very excited with toffee and got the flag and um i did the focus work with him worked very successfully but anyway i was out in the field with my homemade flag which was a bit of a cane and a bit of a plastic bag and that my husband was working with some guys and they were like what is she doing is she catching butterflies <laughs> <laughs> standing in the field for ages holding up my flag and, but um yeah it worked and the thing about that exercise is you have to be effective and so if you start moving that flag around and they don't they don't pick an ear they don't flick an ear towards you don't do it for a while and then stop you got to keep going you know you might have to wander all the way up to them and Maybe take it and rub it on the inside of their hind leg or something. It's like, what are you doing back there? And then you stop. You go, hey, I saw that change in focus. Because it's it's very easy to be ineffective if they don't, if they don't change, you know, if they don't get it, if you don't get a change in thought, then you're doing all this stuff and nothing's happening. But it's it's hard because it's not really a request. You're not really asking them to do it. You're just trying to facilitate it. You're trying to cause it to happen without asking it to happen. And, and that's where it gets into the it depends to a type of thing. You know? Well, Toffee was, it wasn't working at all at first because and he knew exactly where I was in the field. He was watching me all the time. He never took his eyes off me. So I went behind a tree <laughs> and then every now and again, I come out and he's like, oh, she's still there. <laughs> and that's how we started. <laughs> Perfect. See, I've never suggested that technique. And that, that, <laughs> that, that tells me you get it because you, you followed the principle. You just figured out a different technique to, to do that yeah very good so i have a question here that i didn't um prep you for at all but if you want to answer it do what's the most woo-woo thing that's happened to you with horses wow that's that's a great question i mean all the woo-woo things that have happened to me have happened because of horses probably the probably the real start of all this that really made me think whoa there's a lot more to this horse training than i thought there was I did a clinic a few years ago in Texas and there was a girl who had a, a Mustang there that um, he's nine years old, been out of the wild for six years. You know, you can do all the groundwork, you can ride him. He does everything quite well, but every once in a while he will bolt. And you think bolting is a big problem you've got to fix, you know, and there's no trigger for it. It's not like it's the same thing every time. Something that triggers him today might not trigger him the next day. And it's random. It doesn't happen all the time. 
and uh, the, it was a three-day clinic. And the first day we did some groundwork with him and I don't really remember what we did. But the second day, the owner was walking down beside him and asking him to step over behind, like cross and uncross his hind legs. We call it disengaging. And as she went to walk down there, he was turning his head and blocking it, kind of like, nope, can't go down there. And so she said, what should I do here? And normally I would just kind of reach under their jaw and just move their head out of the way and put me on the other side without me moving my feet. Because I was in that whole dominance theory, like if you make me move my feet, that means you win and I lose. That was the mindset I was in at the time. And um, But instead of doing that, this was after Sherlock, and this is when I've been thinking about some things. I said, let me try it. So I'm standing in front of him and he's facing directly at me. And I went to walk down his left side, his near side. And he turned his head and blocked me. And when he did that, instead of me fixing it, I stepped back to my original position. I basically said, that concerns you. I see that concerns you. I'm just going to let, I'm just going to wait for you to let go of that bit of concern. And I waited till I licked and chewed, I guess. And then I tried it again and he blocked me. So I stepped back and I did that for five to 10 minutes. And after five or 10 minutes, I could walk down that side of him and he didn't block me. And so it's not walking down beside him because if me walking down beside him, him bothered him, he'd still be doing it. And then I thought, I'll just put my hand on his neck and see what happens. And I put my hand on his neck and well, as I reached out to his neck, his head raised up like half an inch. And so I took my hand back and stepped away and said, oh, even that bothers you, even though you've been ridden under saddle for six years. Repeated that five or 10 minutes and pretty soon I can walk from the front of him down the side of him, touch him on the neck and he doesn't tense up at all. And then I asked him to disengage behind, step over behind, which he could do just fine. I'm like, oh. I have no idea what I did, but he, he now lets me do it. So I handed the lead rope back to her and she said, what would you like me to do now? And I said, just hang on, just stay there with him. Just chill for a bit. Let him digest that. So I went to help somebody else. And about 10 minutes later, there was a collective <gasps> from everybody in the clinic. And I turned and looked and this horse has buckled at the knees and gone boom to his belly and basically fallen asleep. His nose is in the dirty, snoring little dust clouds. And then he has a roll, gets up, shakes, and boom, down he goes again. And I said to the owner, is that normal? Because if it's normal, it's not a big deal. She said, I've seen him lay down once in six years. And he was out in his pasture laying down and I showed up on the horizon and he jumped up. But I, yeah, once in six years, I've seen him lay down. Anyway, he slept for an hour and a half till lunchtime in the middle of the clinic, horses riding around, loud speakers, the whole thing. Then we woke him up and put him away because I have a morning group and an afternoon group and she was in the morning group. The next morning, the last day of the clinic, she brings him in and I, she said, what do you want me to do? And I said, just hang on and see what happens. 15 minutes later, boom, down he goes, goes to sleep, sleeps for four hours during the clinic. This horse never lays down. This is totally out of the ordinary of this horse. So she goes home from the clinic and she said he slept every day at home for a week after that. Like Anyway, I started researching... Um, sleeping habits of horses and we all know horses can sleep standing up but it's only a light sleep they have standing up in order to have that deep rem sleep that deep restorative restorative sleep that we need they need to lay down and in order to lay down and do that they need to feel safe in order to feel safe they need to have herd members looking out for them and what happened was me acknowledging that this horse was saying i don't want you to go down there me saying i saw that i'm aware of that i get you attunement the sense of being seen being heard feeling felt getting gotten that's what i gave that horse long story short that was four years ago he's not bolted since i think that's a fantastic place to 
to stop because the message of being gotten is, I think that's one of your most powerful messages. The horses want to feel gotten and so do humans. Well, it came from, there's a, a, UCLA, a, UCA, a UCLA professor of psychology called Daniel Siegel, who's written some really good books. And he says attunement is the sense of being seen and being heard. And there's a trauma therapist I know from Canada named Sarah Schlotty, and she uh, works with humans and horses. And she has expanded on that. And she says it's the sense of being seen, being heard, feeling felt and getting gotten. And when you're around somebody who truly gets you and they're not trying to make you feel different than you feel, but just truly, they're just there for you. They, they, however you feel, I understand that without feeling the need to change it or interject or fix it or whatever, basically holding space that, that goes, that goes a long way. And, and, and it all comes back to, you know, the way we were taught to raise children, you know, like the whole crying it out thing, things like that. Um, you know, in hunter and gatherer societies, they didn't do that. They slept with the child in between them because, you know, the hyena can come in and snatch a child from across the hut in the middle of the night, or, you know, a crying child will attract predators. And so that's, that's how, that's how initial, that's, that's how we evolved to do that. And we've gotten away from stuff like that, but our, our bodies are still wired for all that. And so it just messes us up from the beginning doing, doing things like that, that, that whole lack of attunement thing. I, for me, lack of attunement is the, the, the holy grail of all things bad. It all starts there. And yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, the, in England where I grew up, there was a phrase that was always passed around that children should be seen and not heard. Me too in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Warwick, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I have to say that finding out about your training methods and finding all your vis um, videos and everything has been probably the best thing that's come out of COVID for me. <laughs> so thank you very much. And thank you well, for all the work you've done for horses and for all the people that uh, are looking after horses and training horses. I was going to say, you've probably figured this out, but it's the horses is just the conduit to a much bigger message. And I think that's, you know, that's all I'm doing is, is as people do the stuff that I'm doing with horses, it opens them up to everything else. And then, you know, then they can get their information from elsewhere. But I, I really have found that um, just people taking this path with the horses, then it just changes the whole course of their life because now they're open to all sorts of other listening to everybody else their husbands their wives their kids the energy of the universe itself you know everything kind of becomes a bit more available brilliant um i put everything in the show notes how to contact warwick and where to find the videos at the website and everything um is there anything else you'd like to say to the listeners before we go uh, well, I think if you're on this, listen to this podcast, you're probably on, on the, on the path already. So just reach around, give yourself a pat on the back and go easy on yourself. Thank you. Thank you, Warwick. Thank you for listening to the Nature Magic podcast. It was great to get Warwick to speak up for the horse. Please feel free to get in touch if you have any feedback. 
I've put my contact details in the show notes and all the ways you can check out Warwick's work. The change in Toppy since starting on Warwick's methods has been a complete 180. From being a naturally nervous individual, he now comes straight across the field and sticks his nose in the halter to start work. And he has taught me a lot. How to be present in our sessions, to slow down and listen, stop rushing, create boundaries, and has also shown me a ton of love. From taking a break of 10 years from horses, having become disenchanted with regular training methods, I'm now excited about using these cooperative methods with horses in the future. Please subscribe and rate the podcast and share with your friends to spread the word. Coming up soon, Claire Warden, a leading expert on forest schools, and Janie Chodosh on elephant communication.